We're taking a little uh, detour during Advent from our sermon series that we've been in throughout the fall in 1 Corinthians to look, at, look more at the purpose of uh, and behind the incarnation, Christ's appearing in the flesh. And we left off in our, if you, if you haven't been with us, if, you knew, if you're here for the first time or new here, um, we left off in 1 Corinthians 6 in verse 11 where Paul reminds us that Christ, in Christ, in our union with Christ, we are washed we are sanctified and we are justified in his name and by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so we're looking in these couple of weeks leading up to Christmas at how Christ's coming, how his appearing actually accomplishes those purposes of salvation and redemption uh, that we have in Christ. And last week we saw in Hebrews chapter 9 how Christ appeared as a high priest to cleanse us, to purify our conscience through the offering of himself for sin, a better offering than any of those in the old covenant that pointed to him. And today we're going to look at how Christ has appeared to sanctify us, to set us apart as a people for himself, to grow us in godliness, to more and more reflect his glory, to, as I just said to the children, to adorn the doctrines and the gospel of God as we live according to his grace and for his glory. So turn with me to the little book of Titus. That's where we're going to be this morning. Little book of Titus, chapter 2, Paul's letter written to uh, a, a young man named Titus, whom he'd left in the, on the island of Crete to help shepherd the, the uh, young church there. And Titus is found just before Hebrews. If you go towards the back of the Bible and get to Hebrews and flip back one more page past the one-page book of Philemon, you'll land in Titus chapter, uh, chapter 2, and that's where we're going to be. And so let's give our attention to um, this, this uh, few verses that are just packed with gospel truth um, for us. We're going to look at ch Titus chapter 2, verse 11, starting in verse 11 down through uh, verse 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. Let's pray together. Father, would you add your blessing to the reading and hearing and now the teaching of your word. Spirit, would you come and Draw us in to all truth. Reveal it to our hearts. Open our eyes to see the wonderful things that are revealed here. Give us faith to believe and to live according to these truths. And we ask it for your glory. And in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So a few years back, I decided to join a, a local gym. 
I'm no longer a member there. But it happened a few years ago when I was really feeling the need to, to get in shape. I probably should go back and join again. But I remember when I joined the, the gym at the beginning, I, I took advantage of a couple of free sessions that they offered with a trainer who was there. Now, I had never worked with a trainer before and didn't really think I needed to. But I thought, okay, this will be a good opportunity to, you know, maybe get some good pointers on doing certain exercises, maybe getting some, some input on things that would be helpful, um, chance to see kind of where I am and how I'm doing. And the sessions were 30 minutes, and I thought, this is it's not going to be a very big deal. Well, little did I know. I hadn't worked with him for about 10 minutes, and I remember thinking, they actually want me to pay him to do this to me? With each exercise, my muscles were screaming, that's it, that's enough, stop. And the trainer was calmly saying, keep going, you can do it, not much more. Oh, how I wanted to listen to my body, but I listened to the trainer and was able to eke out a few more reps and to get through the workout. And after the session, I learned that it wasn't over. I found out that staying healthy and getting in shape wasn't just about what we were going to do in the gym, but it was what I was going to do when I got home in the kitchen. I needed to, to, to alter my eating habits, where, by the way, I had to fight temptation as he was asking me about those to, to, to not vary from the truth. The trainer gave me a, a suggested nutrition plan. And so at dinner that evening, I had another painful battle of sorts. This time, my, it wasn't my muscles saying, don't uh, stop now. It was my stomach saying, don't stop now. Just a little bit more. Go ahead. Come on. A little bit more won't hurt. And again, I could hear the trainer saying, just one helping. You can stop after one helping. You don't need that extra helping. And I wish I could say the trainer's voice went out, but I'm thinking it probably did not at that point. But the point is that any kind of training, any kind of instruction, any kind of desire we have and process we have to grow or to progress or to get stronger or smarter or better at something, almost anything we're, we're, we're preparing for and seeking to grow in in life requires discipline. It involves an ability to say yes to certain things we know we should do but maybe don't want to, as well as to say no to certain things we, we shouldn't do or don't very much want to do. Or, or may want to do, excuse me. That's not just for physical training either. It's for training in godliness, as Paul reminds Timothy, that is profitable, profitable both for the present life and the life to come. And that growth in godliness, what the Bible calls sanctification, our progressing more and more in holiness and growing more and more in the grace and the, the righteousness of God, that growth in, in godliness doesn't happen simply by our own willpower. We can't just do it. We can't just say no, as some of the, the slogans uh, urge us to. But it requires training, and it requires a trainer who can instruct and empower and, and motivate us to press on and to persevere in faith and in obedience to God. 
And here in these verses, as Paul is encouraging Timothy to to remind various groups in the church at Crete, a a place, by the way, that had a reputation and a culture very similar to that in Corinth, which we have been looking at, he's reminding them to to and exhorting them to live self-controlled, godly lives, to encourage and teach one another in the body of Christ. And he's addressing all the different groups, the older men and the older women and the younger men and younger women and slaves and masters. And he's, he's given this exhortation to, to persevere, to grow in godliness together. And as he does, he comes to, the, he, he, he comes to this point and he links the very ability to do that to be able to accomplish that to the transforming and training power of God's grace, which has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. The essence of both our salvation and our sanctification is rooted in the grace of God manifested in the person and in the redeeming power of his son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul speaks of that that appearing of God's grace. In fact, he speaks of two appearances here in these verses. The first is the appearing of God's grace in Christ at his first coming to be to earth, to be born as a baby, to bring salvation, to redeem his people. And the second is what he calls the appearing of God's glory in Christ at his second coming, the day of judgment, which is yet to come, which Paul calls our blessed hope. First grace, and then comes glory. And the two are inseparably linked. What God's grace establishes in our lives through his son Jesus Christ and our our being united to him by faith, he will be faithful to bring it to completion when he returns again in glory. And as we share in his grace, we will also share, God promises, in his glory, which is our hope. And that, that hope is eternal life with him. And the evidence that indeed we do share in that grace and have that hope of glory is seen in the living of our lives in between these two appearings. In the living, in the, in the, in the now, but the not yet of God's kingdom. Between being, uh, be, and as we're in that, that, that period and living our lives, we're being taught and trained and sanctified more and more by his grace at work in us through Jesus Christ. So as we've seen in Corinthians and as is reiterated throughout the scriptures, the new life that we are given in Christ will result in a new way of living like Christ and for him. And both are the result of and are empowered by the grace of God in his son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul speaks here first of the, of the transforming power of that grace. First he says, this grace appeared, and while he doesn't say so explicitly, it is obvious that he is referring to Jesus' coming in the incarnation. Jesus Christ is God's grace personified. His birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, all of this reveals the nature and releases the power of God's grace into this world. That word to appear means to, to, to bring to light, to shine on, to show forth something that, that was hidden or veiled before. 
And when we talk about God's grace, it's his, it's his unmerited favor. It's his love and his kindness and his, his favor upon those who don't deserve it. And it doesn't just arrive on the scene when Jesus is born. <laughs> it's not grace that, that wasn't there before and now just shows up in Jesus. It's not that God is not gracious before Christ. Paul says just a, a few pages before our passage here in his second letter to Timothy that God saves us and call God saves us and calls us according to his holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. <laughs> Before creation, and which, he says, has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light in the gospel. God's grace, which has been purposed by him, which has been active in his heart and in his mind before time, which has been poured out upon us before the foundation or, or, or purposed for us before the foundation of the world is now fully revealed and fully poured out in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know, if you want to understand and experience grace, you have to know and understand and experience Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. And the result of this appearing is that salvation has now come and is available to all people. God's grace is indiscriminate. It is offered freely to all who will hear and who will receive it. By grace, through faith in Christ, we are rescued from sin's penalty. We are redeemed from sin's power. And we eventually will be removed from sin's presence. And this is reiterated just down in the next chapter that we, we read as our, our um, uh, assurance of pardon earlier in Titus chapter 3, verse 4. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... When Jesus showed up, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by God's grace, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's that forward-looking hope that we have. So Christ's appearing... The light of life coming into the world that we celebrate at this season and remember in that first uh, Christmas morning in Bethlehem is the transforming grace of God that saves us from sin, that redeems us from lawlessness, that purifies us as a people who are God's treasured possession, <laughs> who now belong to him. That's the transformation that grace brings and that we've been talking about at different times in our study of even in Corinthians. So how do you know that transformation has happened? How do you know if you have indeed been saved by grace and purified by Christ and have this blessed hope of his glory to come? And the answer is in the training power of God's grace. Christ transforms us by his grace and then he, he trains us by that same grace, to live lives, Paul says, in this present age, in this time now, between his first appearing and his 
second appearing that reflect that transformation, that prepare us more and more to receive him in glory when he comes. Christ trains us to live between his appearing in grace and his return in glory. And if you want a good slogan to put on your your spiritual workout shirt, it might be that where grace reigns, grace trains. Where grace reigns in our life, grace grace in Christ will be training us for that life which he has called us to. Jesus saves and he sanctifies. And this training, this teaching that Jesus gives and that grace has in our lives involves both a negative as well as a positive posture. It teaches us to deny or to say no to some things and it teaches us to desire and to pursue and say yes to others. To deny and renounce ungodliness or our former way of life, and to pursue and embrace godliness, the life for, for, for which God has saved us. Grace does not mean we are free to choose and to do whatever we want. Rather, it teaches us to choose and to do what God wants. And first, Paul says, grace, God's grace in Christ trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Christ comes and in, in our redemption, he frees us from being slaves to sin and also to our sinful nature, to the power of sin at work in us. And as such, we, we, we no longer are what we might call yes men or yes women to sin. <laughs> yes, we just say yes to it because it's, by, it's our nature. It's the power at work in us, but rather he now gives us the ability to say, to just say no, <laughs> to say no to things that we may want to do or responses we may want to have, but we now know because of God's illumining grace in Christ are not what God desires or demands of us. Now, we still live in that battle zone. This present age is, is that, that time of, of wrestling we, we still have to, to buffet our bodies, to discipline our minds, to resist those things or thoughts that, that before just came natural and maybe still in some ways come naturally to us and seem good. And to do that, to say no, is hard. It requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. Jesus himself knows this, knew the struggle. And he, know, he, he enters into it in his coming to earth. When at his most vulnerable in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus had to resist the temptations to pleasure, to power, to, to prominence that were being put before him and were actually rightfully his, but being put before him in temptation by Satan. And as desirable as they were, and as as rightfully as he could have taken them, he had to reject taking matters into his own hands. He had, to, he had to say no to acting in his own power and instead trusting the truth and the promises of his father. Often in his own ministry, Jesus would say no even to, even to 
what might be good things in order to go out of his way to minister in, in unexpected ways and to unexpected people. He said no to his divine rights and prerogatives as God in order to come down and humble himself and, and, and take on the nature of a servant. To renounce ungodliness, to renounce worldly pleasures is not just avoiding and saying no to the big sins that we often think about, like sexual immorality or drunkenness or adultery or lying or greed or lust, though it is that <laughs> for sure. But it's also the, the, to renounce and say no to the ways of human wisdom, to the pride that, that we've, we've heard about and read about in our study of Corinthians, that, that the world holds up as virtue, but often leads to self-righteousness or to self-sufficiency that feels no need for grace, that tends to, to look down upon others in judgment or to look up to others in envy. It's renouncing our desire and pursuit of security and status and comfort in the things of this world in order to seek first the things of God's kingdom. Grace teaches us to say no to the treasures of earth in order to store up and pursue the treasures of heaven. Which is the positive posture that grace trains us for. Jesus not only teaches us to say no, to, to renounce certain things, and not only teaches us but gives us the power to do so, but also to say yes, to embrace living what Paul calls self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Those are kind of, you, you can think about those in terms of, of in relationship to our own self, control over our own, our own desires and actions. Upright, upright lives in relationship to others, living in a way that, that, uh, that upholds what is good and right in relationship to others. And then godly lives that reflect the character and nature of God and our call to be holy as he is holy. But grace enables us, it teaches us to live with those things in that way because of God's work through his son, Jesus Christ. It, it teaches us to live with self-control because our self is now under the control of God's grace by the spirit of Christ in us. We no longer have to give in to the old self and its desires because Paul says we're new creations. We are under new management. We have a, a, a new power at work in us, the resurrection power of Christ in from God. This leads to lives that are in line with God's word and in step with God's grace as they are revealed in God's Son Jesus. By grace, the burden of the law is now removed. In God's ways, his commandments are now seen in light of the of the blessing and the grace they bring to us and to others. Paul says, We are being purified as a people who are zealous for good works. We desire to live for Christ. We desire to live like Christ. We don't always feel that desire. We don't always enter into that desire. But that's the work of grace in us to more and more give us that desire and enable us to pursue it. Well, how does Christ train us in this positive posture? He does it not just by giving us the instruction manual, which is his word, 
the Bible, which we need. And it's not just by giving us the personal example of his own life to follow, which we should. But Jesus does it by entering into and empowering our lives for the specific purpose of growing us and shaping us to be more and more like him. To embody himself in our own lives, both as individuals and corporately as his church, the the grace and the goodness and the glory of God now becomes manifest in us as a witness to others. Christ trains us by uniting us to himself in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. And therefore, he enables us to walk with him and in him in this present age as we eagerly await his appearance again in glory. And this positive posture is radically God-centered and other-centered. It's radically God-centered and other-centered. By means of grace, God, Christ calls us and enables us to die to ourselves and to live to him. To die to ourselves and to live to him. We have been crucified with Christ, Paul says, and we no longer live, meaning our old self, but Christ lives in us. And the life we live in the flesh, in this present age, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave his life for us. By trusting and looking to him and listening and walking in obedience to the work of God's Spirit in our lives according to his truth. And in loving us and giving himself for us, Christ calls us to and equips us for a life of loving God and loving others with that same sacrificial, self-giving, suffering, serving love. Jesus appeared in the flesh, we're told in John 1. He dwelt among us. He, he lived the life we live. And John says, we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus embodied the glory and the grace of God, but in his first appearing, the fullness of that glory remained hidden. It remained veiled in flesh. While God's grace was fully visible in Jesus' coming, it was fully visible in his coming, not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom. As we see God's grace lived out as he goes to the sick and to the lame and to the lost and to the broken and the outcast. But his glory, in the fullness of his glory was still yet to come. He was not born in glorious splendor, but to a peasant family in a backwater region, heralded only by lowly shepherds. He did not reside in a palace or sit on a throne as people expected him to as the Messiah. But he lived among the people. He stayed and ate in the homes of notorious sinners. He didn't gather around him or did he attract the rich and the powerful and the righteous. But he drew and he welcomed crowds of common folks. He willingly and voluntarily entered into suffering. He embraced hardship. 
He engaged those who despised and ridiculed him with love. And he exhibited in his life the true righteousness of God that comes in, in doing justly and loving mercy and walking humbly in submission to God the Father. And friends, that's not what people expected of the Messiah. That's not what they were looking for. They were looking for splendor and glory and they got humility and grace. But here's the deal. That very humility, that very grace reflect the glory of the Father. He is a gracious God who humbles himself, who becomes gentle and lowly to redeem and and raise up those who are bowed low and humbled by sin and to bring them to glory. And Jesus, having accomplished that redemption, he now, by his spirit, he trains us for for glory by calling us and by, by empowering us to live humble and gracious lives. And brothers and sisters, it is a daily, ongoing, lifelong training regimen of repentance and faith and trust and humility and righteous and uprightness before God and others. And that only happens, that only happens if we, if we're intentionally attentive to and attuned to how Christ is at work in and through us and in the world around us. It's not something we can just, we can just take for granted. Okay, Jesus saved us, and therefore we're just going to go through life however we want and, and, and focus on all the things that distract us and keep us from and, and just assume we'll be there in glory. No, we have to, we have to enter into that purposefully. It is saying no to the things that Christ said no to. Self-exaltation, avoiding suffering, exercising his rights, pleasing the powerful, taking advantage of the weak, seeking personal comfort or security. It's saying yes to the things Christ says yes to, to trust in, in God's promises, depending upon God in prayer, entering into hard places with hard people, being interrupted and responding to, to needs. Confronting the the self-righteous and rebuking the proud. Being present and patient with those closest to him. Understanding and embracing the truth that the kingdom of God has come, but is also still to come. All of these things Christ himself did in his life. And friends, this training happens in the small and unexpected things. It happens in how you respond to that little child who interrupts you for the fifth time with the same question or concern. Will we say no to speaking in frustration and losing our temper and yes to patiently trying to listen and lovingly correct if needed? In how we engage a person that we see who is is struggling or has some significant need. Will we say no to the urge to to avoid or to ignore that situation and yes to going over or calling or, or praying or taking time to help in some way? 
in how we confront the urge to, to, to do something or to think something or to take something to ease our pain or, or engage our pleasure when no one is around and we'll know about it? Do we say no to the, to the fleeting relief or pleasure and resulting shame that we know it will bring? And yes, to the promise that Christ will satisfy and meet our every need according to his grace. I faced this, particularly the other day, this training of, of Christ as I attended a forum this past week on affordable housing in Apex. We had been invited to come and be a part of that. And it was, it was really helpful and informative look at the significant need and the, and the encouraging time to think about ways that, that our town here and, and other organizations and even churches can help in, in addressing that need as, as we grow in this great area. And it was great discussion and time. And towards the end of the discussion, one of the moderators just threw out a question about what she termed housing justice. And immediately, my political response system was engaged because of all the things we hear on the news and all the things we listen to. And, and, and I could feel myself starting to make assumptions about what she was talking about, wanting to mount a response and a defense ready to write off maybe some things that had been said because now here was a, 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 an agenda at hand. And I realized I, I needed to stop <laughs> from jumping to conclusions. I needed to listen to what people had to say. I needed to engage in conversation with those around who we were encouraged to do with an eye to the common good and be willing to trust God to do what he intended in this time. I had to say no to my tendency to, to rush to judgment or to think that I know what all is being said and done and my sense that God has, and, and say yes to my sense that God had me there for a reason and Mike Camp was there with me. We're in this to, together so he can attest to maybe some of this as well. But in doing so, I was able to listen and I was able to actually learn and I was able to engage with other brothers and sisters in Christ and in the grace of Christ for the glory of God. And it was a great outcome. But I, I, there was that, just that little check in my own spirit that God, is that God needed to train me in that way. It's in the little things sometimes. How is the grace of God training you? Is the grace of God training you? In Christ Jesus. Are you taking advantage not just of, of the means of Christ's grace in his word and in prayer and worship and fellowship with God's people. All of that which is important in the way in which God uh, commutes that grace to us. But are we growing not in just what we know and believe but also taking time to be attentive. Taking time to be attuned to God's work in us. And around us in the world and in others. And putting that grace into action and being shaped by that grace as we say no to ungodliness and our own sin and pursue Christ's likeness and his grace for us. It's good questions to ask. How is the grace of God that has appeared in Christ training you right now? Where? Do I need to ask him to train me more in godliness? 
And part of that training is to cling and to, and to wait eagerly for that blessed hope which comes in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ also trains us by, by preparing us and holding forth the, the eternal hope of, of life with him in glory. You see what Christ has made us and is making us by his grace is not yet fully revealed in us either. We have been raised with Christ and while we live in this present age under his resurrection power, we're called to seek first the things above and to set our minds on things above. Why? Because as Paul says in Colossians 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Think about that. Our life is hidden with God. What we are is not yet fully revealed here, but it is there. It is hidden in Christ. And that full glory of God is not yet revealed, and that glory of which we are partakers is, is still hidden from us in Christ. We are being trained for and transformed more and more into that glory. And then Paul says, And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. We'll be there. <laughs> and we'll be with him. And we will see him face to face as he is. And we will be like him. Not in his divinity in any way, but like him in reflecting and, 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 and standing in the presence of God. Fully glorified and sanctified. And brothers and sisters, that's what we eagerly await now. That's the advent of our lives, not just at, before Christmas, but every single day as we look towards his appearing again. That's the blessed hope. Christ has redeemed us from lawlessness. He's purifying a people for himself, zealous for good works, and who will one day share in, in full in his glory when all things are made right. And his coming glory will be to judge the world and those who will be saved. And who are those who will be saved when he comes? Paul tells us those who eagerly await his coming. Those who are looking forward to it. <laughs> those who are longing for it. Paul told Timothy again, he said, There is it laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who love his appearing. All who loved his appearing. God will reward us. He will give us, he's standing there in Christ waiting to give us the trophy. <laughs> and he calls us to to keep pressing on and he equips us to keep living for his glory and to long for that day. Grace teaches us to love Christ's appearing. His first appearing where he's come in grace to redeem us and to sanctify us and to purify us for himself and his second appearing where we will see him face to face and be like him. If you love Christ's appearing, if you long for Christ's appearing, then you will be trained by his grace to grow more and more in godliness. I like to think about the appearing of Christ as Paul lays it out for us in, these, uh, in this passage. 
kind of like the drivetrain that moves us from grace to glory. And it's a four-wheel drivetrain, if you will. We look back on the first appearing of Christ in grace, and that propels us forward. That's the rear differential that propels us forward in, in holiness and in, in faith and in obedience. And we look forward to the appearing of Christ again in glory. And that's the front wheel drive that's pulling us along, that's drawing us more and more to the destination that Christ came to bring us to. And he, pull, he pushes and pulls us ahead through the difficult terrain of life, ensuring that one day we will be with him. So all of this has a missional purpose. And I'll close with this. Christ came into the world to reveal the grace and the glory of God. And our lives, even now, are called to reflect that, glory, that grace and that glory as Christ trains us. We are, even now, as I mentioned to the kids, adorning the doctrine of God as Paul says in the verse just prior to this, in verse 10, he says, so that why should we live in a way that, that, that exhibits godliness and says no to, to ungodliness? Is so that in everything, they, meaning those he was speaking to, their lives may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So you and I are like Christmas ornaments. That added to the tree together make it more beautiful, more glorious, more attractive, more inviting to draw others to see. We don't make it any more real. We just reflect the blessings and the benefits that point people to what is real, and that is Christ on whom all things hang. So how is God training you? How does he want to train you? Are you eagerly waiting for his appearing? Do we pray for it? Both the training and the waiting. <laughs> Do we long for it? Do we enter into it and prepare for it? Christ says, as we do, he is the one at work equipping us for that. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you that your grace has appeared. And in your son, Jesus Christ, we see your grace and your truth and your glory reflected. And in him, we receive grace upon grace. And we are being sanctified and, and purified as a people for you, a treasured possession, zealous to live for you. Lord, forgive us where we fail to say no to the things that are against you and fail to say yes to those things which you have called us to and which are for our good. Teach us and train us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to be attentive and be attuned to the work of your grace in our lives, the training work which does its hard work in hard times and yet yields results that are good not only for this life but for the life to come and lord help us to long for that life to come to pray for it to resolve to live as if it might come even today which it might and father enter into 
the serving, sacrificing, sanctifying love which you have for us in Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.